Hi, this is Kyle Blakely, and you're listening to COS 23, The Mayor's Race. My guest for Episode 2 is candidate Lojinos Gonzalez, Jr. Lojinos was elected to the El Paso County Commission for District 2 in 2016 and re-elected in 2020. Prior to that, he taught middle school science in Harrison School District 2. He's a retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel, serving as an intelligence officer, and is a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy. Lojinos was previous chair of the Pikes Peak Rural Transportation Authority, elected chair of the Front Range County Subcommittee by fellow Colorado commissioners in 2019, and served as chair of the Colorado Springs Public Safety Sales Tax Oversight Committee. He serves on the Colorado Board of Veterans Affairs and serves locally on the boards of CASA, the Fountain Valley Senior Center, and Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center. He also serves as both a lector and Sunday school teacher at his church. For more information about Lojinos, you can visit his campaign website at lojinosformayor.com. Thanks for being here today. Yeah, thanks, Kyle. Thanks for having me on today as well. I appreciate it. This podcast is going to take a look at all the candidates running for mayor this year in Colorado Springs. I feel like it's kind of a, a pivotal year, an important year for the community. And so to start with, the first question I had for you is kind of a two-part question. One, why are you running for mayor? And two, why do you feel like you're the best person for the position? Sure, Ron. Thanks. Uh, and honestly, uh, it it's this what I've been ingrained all my life, giving back to my community, uh, serving our country, serving our community, uh, and being an advocate for people. Uh, and so I, I've done that all my life. Uh, I served 20 years in the Air Force, uh, retired, and then moved uh, back to this community. It was a community I loved for my, uh, uh, my years at the Air Force Academy uh, when I graduated in 92. Uh, 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 served 20 years around the world, um, a couple of tours in the Middle East, Latin America, uh, did a lot of uh, things that uh, I really learned a lot uh, and uh, take great pride in this, uh, in our country, and uh, I wanted to give back. And so uh, I ended up becoming a middle school teacher for a little bit after I uh, finished my military career uh, and then got involved in local politics and uh, saw where I could serve again. Uh, and so I've been serving as a county commissioner, and uh, it was really just uh, believing that uh, uh, the community needs a good, strong voice, uh, somebody with a proven record of uh, experience and leadership. Uh, and I thought I'd bring that to the community and I, I can be that right advocate and a candidate for mayor uh, moving forward. Uh, I believe one of the things that really separates me from the other candidates is the broad background and experience that I do have. Uh, I, I honestly believe I've, I've lived the American dream. My parents were farm laborers from Mexico, settled in uh, Central California. I grew up, raised... Uh, they emphasized hard work and education. I took that to heart again, went to the academy, served uh, my country in, uh, in the military, and then came back. Uh, and the experience as a veteran, uh, and then translating into a middle school teacher on the south side of Colorado Springs uh, in District 2. Uh, and I still substitute teach every now and then because I want to make sure I'm working with that next generation with our community, those, the youth that are going to be our leaders here in uh, Colorado Springs and El Paso County. And so I wanted to be a mentor and a voice for them as well. And uh, from there, also a uh, middle school uh, again a, a businessman uh, as well from from my my years in investing uh, uh, and then also uh, as a county commissioner uh, the experiences and uh, uh, decisions we've made uh, database decisions uh, based on uh, you know following the Constitution uh, good conservative values uh, believing in public input you know limited government uh, and taking all that and uh, 
doing what I believe is the right thing for our community, uh, and I want to just be able to continue that. And so that broad background of veteran, commissioner, school teacher, businessman, uh, I really think I, uh, I have that background that meets our communities uh, and the, the, the needs of our community. Throughout your career, I mean, obviously, varied career, what, either political or otherwise, what's like one accomplishment you're most proud of? Uh, well, there's several. Uh, uh, one of them, uh, and it's probably an issue that come up later, is water discussions. Uh, I've been an advocate for making sure that we take care of our, our good stewards of our water uh, and that we grow smartly as a community. Uh, at the county level, uh, I advocated for uh, updating our uh, county's uh, water master plan, uh, making sure that we are doing the right thing and making decisions moving forward. Uh, but one of the things uh, we see uh, when we need good leadership uh, it, when there's a, a situation or a crisis that, that occurs. Uh, as I was taking office six years ago, uh, we were in the middle of the PFAS uh, contamination issue on the south side. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's something I stepped forward, uh, worked with our local leaders, worked with the Department of Defense and the Air Force uh, in making sure that our residents were taken care of and that we're addressing that, that water issue and that everybody there immediately uh, in addressing the issue uh, were able to have safe drinking water. Uh, and uh, so very proud of the efforts there that continue to this day uh, that I have been a voice for an advocate for them. And that was one of the accomplishments we saw was making sure we took care of our residents there. Uh, and then again, uh, the COVID issue uh, where I was advocating and being a voice for our community to make sure uh, that there wasn't a government overreach. And, and, and if we saw some, that they had somebody here that was a good, strong voice, making sure that uh, we were doing things uh, smartly at the local level. Uh, one of the things that I, I did push back against was uh, a blanket decisions and, uh, that were coming down from the state uh, because uh, local decisions, uh, something that might be appropriate in uh, Metro Denver, uh, may not be appropriate in uh, rural El Paso County or Colorado Springs or in other parts of our, our uh, state. Uh, and so I always fought for local control. Uh, and then making sure that our business, small businesses and our residents were taken care of so that they could take care of their families. Uh, and I was very proud of the fact that uh, because of the efforts and uh, my advocacy uh, at the county commissioner level, uh, that we were able to recover jobs quickly and get people back to work, uh, whether it was on variances or uh, getting businesses back open earlier or uh, wider and making sure that we spent some of those federal dollars to take care of our residents. And that absolutely uh, worked. Of uh, The candidates, uh, my advocacy ensured that uh, our Colorado Springs metro area was the first in the state to recover economically post-COVID. And that's something I'm very proud of. I helped take care of our businesses and our families. Throughout your career, you've had a lot of leadership positions. How would you describe your leadership style? Uh, Well, it's one that's based on collaboration uh, and input and something that's data-based. And so one of the things that I, I want to make sure we do is we have that public input. Uh, I believe I am one of the two or three uh, local elected officials that, has, that have held the most town halls uh, in my six years. Uh, I've been an advocate for making sure I listen to the people and take their input into account uh, before making decisions. And then using uh, you know, data, making sure that we're making uh, data-driven uh, decisions that make sense, uh, that allow us to uh, make those decisions smartly, while also, again, uh, making sure that people's rights are taken care of uh, and that we're doing things in the right way uh, and not doing anything that overreaches. Uh, I'm somebody who believes in limited government, 
uh, transparency in government, uh, and being fiscally responsible. And so I'm going to, I've got a record of that, and I'm going to continue to, uh, to do that if uh, I'm uh, uh, honored enough uh, for the public to uh, elect me as the next mayor. I want to kind of focus on maybe what you feel like are the three most important issues that you want to focus on if you get elected. Sure. Uh, and as I've done as a county commissioner, uh, I've always prioritized the, the things that I think the people uh, prioritize uh, and uh, what government should be taken care of. Uh, so I've always believed that the government's number one priority uh, should be public safety, making sure that uh, people, our residents, uh, feel safe in their homes, their neighborhoods, in our community. Uh, and if you you can't get that done, nobody's going to be happy in the community. Nobody's going to be happy in the city. So I want to make sure we address that. Uh, we have seen uh, rising crime rates, uh, not just locally, but statewide and nationwide. Uh, and we need to be able to address that. And so that is going to be my number one, number one priority is addressing that uh, and making sure that we have properly staffed and trained uh, law enforcement and first responders. Uh, one of the things, again, that separates me from these, uh, some of the other candidates is I have a vast experience working side by side by, uh, with first responders and law enforcement. I was an a, uh, intelligence officer in the military, uh, did a lot of uh, years, several years as a counter drug analyst uh, mm -hmm. and intelligence officer. Uh, so I did work side by side, uh, whether it was uh, state patrol, uh, three letter agencies like FBI, uh, ICE Customs. Uh, and other uh, federal agencies and local law enforcement. Uh, I had a, I was the liaison officer when I was in uh, uh, Southern Command uh, working with the HIDA, which is a local law enforcement uh, entity that works counter drug issues. Uh, and so I have that experience with law enforcement and first responders. Uh, I also have the experience of six years serving on Colorado Springs uh, Public Safety Sales Tax Oversight Committee, uh, which uh, takes uh, the uh, uh, one of the sales tax that the city ha yeah. currently has, uh, and it goes entirely to fund uh, the police department and fire department uh, uh, capital improvement and some uh, uh, personnel uh, funding for the the uh, the areas where that capital improvement uh, was was spent on the stations. Uh, so I have that experience. I was in my last year in that office uh, uh, committee. I, I was the chair. Uh, okay. And so I have that experience there in, uh, in law enforcement uh, so to support our public uh, safety efforts. Roads and infrastructure, uh, that is what uh, I always get calls on uh, as a county commissioner, and I know that the city council and the mayor also get a lot of calls. We want to make sure our infrastructure is there uh, because, one, for safety. Uh, two, uh, it helps improve our business community. Uh, it also, again, uh, a large part of this area is based on uh, the military but also on tourism. Uh, mm -hmm. And if you don't have the proper and upgraded uh, infrastructure and roads, uh, that's going to hurt our, our businesses here and our community. And so I want to make sure we address that. Real quick, on roads and transportation. So Colorado Springs has two taxes that citizens pay related to roads and transportation, PPRTA yes. and then the, the city's road tax. How do you feel about having two taxes like that? And do you feel like it's the amount that each one of them is? I mean, do you think it's adequate? Do you think it might be too high. How do you look at that with there being two taxes? Sure. Uh, PPRTA, uh, which you mentioned, I sit on the board as a county commissioner uh, member uh, on that board uh, as well. Uh, I think that's, some, that's one that the people trust. Uh, and we've seen that with the vast majority of, of the residents here locally. Uh, just reapprove that. Uh, at 80%. Extended it, 80% yeah. extended it for another 10 years. And one of the things they trust there uh, was the fact that the projects are listed 
uh, and estimates on the costs are listed. And the timelines are generally listed because you have a priority one, A and B list. Uh, and so you have uh, built in trust over uh, several years of uh, doing this, uh, and that's why that got the support. And I think, uh, I think it's great. Uh, it has been one of the things we've been able to uh, address large-scale infrastructure projects. Uh, the smaller-scale projects, uh, the uh, the roads tax, the other roads tax here at the, uh, uh, for the city, uh, there's been some concerns uh, in terms of uh, whether they should be prioritizing the uh, the, the re- uh, rebuilding of the uh, uh, maintaining of the roads, but at the same time spending so much money on the uh, the uh, sidewalks and the curb and gutter. Now, uh, ADA requirements, federal requirements, uh, mean that we have to do that. Yeah. Uh, but there might be some smarter ways of doing that. Some some roads uh, require less percentage of that uh, funding yeah. to go to the road and cur- uh, the curb and gutter and sidewalks and uh, because they, they're already compliant. Uh, well, let's prioritize the roads where more of the money will go to uh, comp- uh, maintaining the roads not the sidewalks, and get those done first. And that's a more efficient way of, of utilizing those dollars. Uh, I'd have to go in and see uh, whether or not uh, uh, those are being uh, spent uh, in the most smart way. I think there might be some uh, ways we can sp- spend it a little smarter in terms of prioritizing which roads get done first uh, and then try to maximize and make that most efficient. Uh, again, I believe that was extended to a five-year. Yeah. Uh, and so I believe it would come up again uh, during our term. Uh, something I'd look to extend, uh, but maybe uh, maybe something we can reduce the tax on because I'm, I'm somebody who does not want to add any more burden uh, on t- of taxes uh, to our residents uh, with uh, COVID shutdowns and the struggling uh, families that they had during COVID and post-COVID, uh, the inflation. Uh, I, I do not support. I will oppose uh, tax increases or new taxes. But in this case, maybe extending it, but maybe extending it at a lower level, okay. uh, which is what they did last time. They also reduced it, uh, perhaps uh, reducing it. But uh, uh, I think we've done a good job at the county level and at the city level of uh, trying to address it. But uh, we need to do a little bit better, I think. And I think we can. I think we can find some things that are a little more efficient. What would the third issue be? Did you say water originally? I said water and growth issues. Uh, So it's something that's really come forward. Uh, Again, it's something that I have already uh, experience on uh, with the – you know, water contamination issue that, yeah. that came on uh, before I was elected uh, uh, county commissioner and we saw from uh, from the Peterson uh, firefighting foam, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, and decades of, of, of use there. But uh, we were able to address it and make sure that our residents were taken care of. Uh, the other thing is making sure that we have adequate water supply. So the first one is quality quality of yeah. the water uh, and, and uh, drinking water. And then in this case, it's the, the quantity as we grow. Uh, so we need to make sure we make smart decisions, uh, a funding that's adequate to address those long-term needs and that we're growing in areas uh, that make sense that we can uh, utilize our essential services. So making sure that we're growing in areas where there are already fire stations, police stations, so we don't necessarily have to build new ones uh, that'll take away money that we could be properly spent in other areas, whether that's road and infrastructure, public safety, uh, or uh, what is going to have to be done over the next uh, decades. And so decisions here in the next four years uh, made by the mayor and city council and utilities uh, board uh, will be how do we grow over the next several decades. And that's going to require some funding of uh, reservoirs, upgrading uh, our uh, uh, our infrastructure for uh, 
moving water, uh, a lot of it comes from, most of it comes from the western slope, and making sure that that's adequate, uh, as well as then uh, making sure that uh, the follow-on infrastructure happens, and so, and then gaining additional water uh, rights uh, where we can. Uh, and there's programs in place already. I've gotten some very good advice, great advice. Uh, Jerry Forte, the former uh, CEO uh, of uh, utilities, is uh, supporting me and giving me great advice on how we can do this. And he's got a long-term plan that I think we can implement uh, to make things uh, uh, smartly, uh, uh, so that we can grow smartly uh, over time. Uh, and I think we should uh, be emphasizing things like that. Yeah, I, I think water's going to be, I mean, obviously, now for decades to come, water's going to be one of the biggest issues here in the West. Um, Colorado Springs City Council recently passed a rule that the city has to have 128% of the water supply for existing residents and businesses, plus any annexations that want to come into the city. Um, how do you feel about that rule? Do you support it? Do you oppose it? How do you feel about it? Well, thanks. Uh, and I was at the first uh, utilities meeting, I believe it was at the end of October. Uh, and uh, I some of the concerns that came from that first meeting is that uh, it didn't seem like the numbers were necessarily, again, I'm somebody who supports data-driven uh, information. It didn't look like that information was based on anything solid. Uh, and so my questions and questions of many people there that day was where did the numbers come from? Does this make sense? Uh, should it be higher, should it be lower? Uh, and the other thing, it didn't look like this was, uh, this had gone around to all the stakeholders. So uh, the city, and, and El Paso County, uh, we currently have a annexation uh, IGA, uh, inter uh, intergovernmental uh, agreement between us in uh, terms of like how to, again, how to smartly plan long-term growth for the community. Yeah. Uh, and we honestly don't know how this uh, annexation, water annexation plan that the city is doing might affect that. Uh, those discussions haven't been done. And so again, I brought up concerns that first day, it's like, hey, let's have regional discussions that brings the stakeholders together, the city, the county, the other municipalities, and the other water districts locally and the public to get good, strong input that's based on information. Uh, one of the questions that was asked uh, of utilities that uh, that first day when I was there was, will this uh, affect housing costs? Will housing go up because of this? Yeah. Uh, they, they couldn't answer that question because they haven't done the deep dive that I think needs to happen before a final vote. So uh, all I'm, I think they need to delay a final vote on this until those stakeholder meetings happen. Uh, and I've been advocating for that. Let's get together before that, that uh, final uh, vote. Uh, and then I'll, I'll be honest, there's, there was discussions that day and afterward that this could create a situation where uh, perhaps a, a one company or developer uh, gets long-term uh, gets a long-term uh, monopoly on growth in the city. Uh, and that would be concerning because, again, that could negatively affect housing costs uh, if you just have one company in charge of all long-term growth uh, and development. And so uh, those are the concerns I have. Uh, I, I believe they need to uh, delay and table that vote until these discussions get done. So you would be supportive of re-looking at it and finding – I mean, maybe, maybe the rule – is fine. The percentage just needs to be looked at, or something like that. But you're right. Again, you'd support looking at all. Oh, that. absolutely. We need to have these water discussions, uh, and we need to make sure that we're making decisions that uh, uh, that affect our entire community uh, together. Yeah. Uh, but I have great concerns right now with uh, without these meetings that they'll be they'll be voting to something that could negatively affect the community. Uh, and again, I'm concerned of anybody getting a monopoly that could negatively affect our community and costs. Okay. There's only one ballot issue on in April, and it's the extension of the TOPS tax. Yeah. So we're talking about 
extensions and things like that. Do you support that or oppose it? No, I do support it. Uh, it's something that, uh, again, sort of like PT, PPRTA, yeah. uh, it's something that com- the community has uh, uh, been involved in, understands. Uh, they know how the mechanism works for the percentages of going to a, a, a new uh, acquisition of land and then protecting and maintaining those lands. Uh, there was some concerns last time. Well, two concerns last time. One was that they were changing the percentages and the mechanisms yeah. on uh, what would be uh, funded, how it would be funded, uh, new acquisitions versus just maintenance of uh, existing parks. And that concerned a lot of the advocates. Uh, the other one was that it was going to double the tax. Yeah. Uh, they actually they, they did a straight up tax uh, at a time when inflation was going up. People were struggling from uh, uh, post COVID, uh, you know, a job. You know, a lot of people were laid off. Uh, and then uh, uh, the influx of federal dollars. Uh, the city and the county received su- uh, substantial amounts of funding, uh, and uh, people, uh, I think, rightfully so, didn't feel that uh, doubling of somebody's taxes during this time. Uh, was appropriate. And so uh, uh, I, I think it should be extended. I think it should ex- be extended at the current level because I don't think it needs to be raised, uh, that uh, the tax sh- shouldn't be raised. Uh, but I do think we need to better fund our parks. Uh, one of the things that brought me back here was the great outdoors. This beautiful, beautiful community and beautiful yeah. country. Uh, and being outdoors is one of the things we enjoy. And, and uh, the parks are one of the and open spaces are things we enjoy. I, I think there's money in the federal and the uh, general fund. Uh, one of the things we've seen since 2019 the city's budget has increased 36%, uh, plus an additional about $100 million uh, from those federal uh, funds uh, uh, in, the, in the years after uh, COVID to help address situations. And the city also recently approved in 2021 uh, the Tabor retention. Uh, in that, yep. uh, they, they retained, I believe it was $20 million for wildland interface uh, mitigation. Uh, but in that language, also allowed uh, longer-term retention of funds. And so there was additional funds there. I think a percentage of that fund should go to uh, our public safety, our roads, and we should be able to get some of those funds to go to our parks so we can better address that. Yeah, because I was looking back in like 2008 before the big recession – Parks out of the general fund budget was about 8.4% of the budget, and today it's 5.9%. And like you said, the budget's gone up quite a bit, so actual dollars may be creeping up. But as a percentage of the overall budget, it's still quite a bit lower than it used to be. So would you support maybe trying to work with council to try and get some of that additional, get that percentage back up a little bit? Uh, Absolutely. And that's where I think that general fund discussion uh, can happen, should happen. And I think there are funds there. Uh, I've looked at the budget the last several years, uh, and I believe, especially with that uh, 2021 retention vote uh, that allows uh, additional dollars, uh, that there's funding there for uh, for improving our parks uh, and getting getting them uh, back to where they were percentage-wise, as you mentioned, uh, because that is one of the things that the community loves here is our parks and open spaces, and they should be addressing that. Again, my priorities are going to be public safety, roads, uh, but this is an area that I think has been neglected, and we need to be uh, addressing it, and I will be uh, an advocate for that. Next question. So this past November, Colorado Springs voters voted down recreational marijuana here in the community. Were you supportive of it, or did you oppose it? I opposed recreational marijuana expansion. Uh, So I think I've mentioned uh, I I did uh, several years uh, about half of my military career was doing something related to Latin America, uh, and a large majority of that was doing uh, a lot of counter-drug, uh, counter-insurgent, uh, and uh, counter-cartel uh, uh, 
Yeah. Uh, and so I, I've, I've seen a lot of information. When I was in Miami at Southern Command, I was the senior analyst in the counter-drug division uh, where I was on uh, national working groups, interagency assessments of cocaine movement, the, the, uh, the general uh, uh, counter-drug working groups. Uh, and I had a role in our, uh, our committees where our products and analysis uh, was a part of the, uh, the drug czars, uh, national reports. Uh, so the Office of National Drug Control Policy, uh, our reports went there. And so I saw all the information. So a lot of uh, uh, correlations uh, related to drug use, which included the marijuana. Uh, and uh, this showed the negative uh, aspects of this, the, the costs uh, in terms of uh, when they say, hey, we're going to pass this and get some revenue right tax income for uh, that help us address issues uh well the statistics nationally show that uh for every dollar in revenue that brought in it costs you more than three dollars in all the associated issues related to marijuana and addressing the situation and the issues that come up afterwards uh whether that's a uh, a crime or uh, mental or medical uh situations uh, uh issues related to it, it costs more than the revenues it brought in. So all my time in the military and working and on my time as the Board of Health, I've been a member for six years now on the Board of Health locally, uh, the data shows that uh, we should not be expanding uh, marijuana. And so I was very pleased to see that fail. Okay. Kind of how I looked at it is Colorado's had recreational marijuana since I think the vote was in 2012. About 20% of all residents in Colorado use marijuana on some level. So more than likely, because it's available in Manitou and everything else, Colorado, if there are negative impacts, Colorado Springs is already seeing those. So why not develop some revenue? Again, maybe it doesn't offset it based on the, the numbers, but why not get some revenue to help offset those negative impacts as opposed to just absorbing all of them. Sure, I, I, I think I understand your question. Uh, but if you were to expand it here, uh, I think you're not just going to see the current level of use uh, plus additional revenue. I think you'd see this area probably turn into maybe a tourism location, uh, and that would then bring in additional uh, increasing numbers of usage. Uh, your question would make yeah. sense if there wasn't to be no associated increase. Okay. Uh, I don't think that was that's accurate, and so you'd see additional uh, uh, use uh, yeah. locally, whether it's uh, residents or tourists, uh, and then that would increase again the associated cost to it. We've already seen it statewide: uh, traffic uh, accidents and deaths uh, I increasing, uh, and so we've already seen too much of that. And I don't want to see additional lives lost or families hurt because of expansion of marijuana. Okay. Some of the other issues that I think we're hearing a lot about, one is obviously homeless homelessness issues and and again there's a there's a lot involved there from mental health support to services support and all of those things. But but it does seem to be one of the higher priority issues in the community right now. What ideas do you have as far as, as working toward uh, helping reduce the instance of, of homelessness and how the community might uh, work on that? Sure. There's a couple of different aspects. Uh, one is from the public safety uh, aspect, uh, cleanups. 
you know, making sure that we're taking care of our community and make sure that the uh, residents or, you know, the homeless don't just stay in areas, uh, cause damage. A lot of them are along the waterways. Right? So as a, as a public safety, somebody on the Board of Health, I understand that that's going to negatively affect our, our water quality uh, and also the safety of residents. We've seen way too many fires. There was an article just the other day talked about in the hundreds. 157. Uh, uh, fires started by homeless, and we had a very large one uh, just a couple months ago in the county, just on the edge of the city, uh, that could have spread and been much worse. Uh, there not been quick response from uh, our local uh, uh, fire uh, response and, and, and controlled that. Uh, but these are things we need to address. So one is, is attacking it from the uh, public health and public safety aspect, make sure we're doing cleanups. At the county level, uh, we added another, I believe, $150,000, $200,000 just in this uh, coming years or this budget year to make sure we're addressing those safety issues and the cleanups. Uh, the other aspect are a lot of the homeless, they do need services. They need help, and yeah. a lot of them are looking for help. So what can we do to help them and to bring them back into the community uh, so uh, that we're supporting each other. And a lot of things uh, there, we work. We have to work with our government entities and our nonprofits. Uh, there are many in this community that work. Uh, the Rescue Mission, which we funded and, and done work yeah. with, do a great job. We need to get more of these, the homeless that are looking for help and shelter into that uh, these programs. Uh, the others is getting them the right mental health and public uh, health uh, if they're uh, – uh, if they have uh, issues related to uh, drug use, what can we do to help them? Uh, if it's mental issues, what can we do to help them? A lot of these uh, residents, uh, homeless, uh, some of them are veterans. Some of them may not be util utilizing their benefits that they have. We might be able to get them something and get them the help they need just by getting them in, talking to their uh, uh, veteran services, uh, whether it's Mount Carmel or our county veteran service office getting them the local help that they need uh, that they deserve, right, and have earned. Let's get them the help they need. Uh, there's also additional funding right now because of the pharmaceutical uh, settlements that have recently occurred yeah. uh, to the tune of uh, tens of millions of dollars that we'll be getting here in El Paso County and Teller County. There's a, we're a regional, I believe it's a region 16, I believe, uh, of El Paso County and Teller working together uh, to allocate funds over the next, I believe, 18 years uh, to areas of public health uh, as it relates uh, to a largely opioid yeah. or, or uh, those type of, of issues, addiction issues. Yeah. Uh, we can provide some of those funds into the services that will help this community as well. And so, again, it's multi uh, multi-factored approach, yeah. uh, but we got to address it from many different areas. We got to work with our partners, whether it's the state level, the government level, a uh, federal level, or nonprofits, and then uh, getting them in so they can get the help they need, the help they deserve, uh, and while we're taking care of our uh, the rest of our community and making sure that we're doing the cleanups and making sure that we're addressing the issues related to again, you mentioned the fires. That's something we need to make sure that uh, we have control of, and I want to make sure we prioritize that. Okay. One of the other issues that seems to be coming up a lot is affordable housing. And people look at it a couple of different ways. There's affordable housing and attainable housing and all of that in there. But it does seem to be kind of a rising concern in the community over the past year or two. How does that fit into your plans, thoughts, ideas on how to work on that when, uh, if you get elected? 
Sure. And again, is something that's been coming forward a lot in the last several years. When I when I first moved back, uh, we were a very affordable community, and the cost of living was 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 low, was strong, yeah. you know, and it was something very favorable, and that's why people wanted to move here. In the last several years, we've seen that reversed. Uh, so again, it's a uh, it's an area that we got to use look at from different aspects, different uh, ways of looking at it, and how do we improve the different levels of housing? Uh, so one of them is again we. I, determine what's a smart way to grow, uh, you can't just stop growth. You have to have yeah. some growth or just the housing costs. We see it in Boulder uh, where areas where they've just kind of said, hey, we're not going to build anymore. Uh, well, then now you've got everything that's far too expensive for anybody to afford. Yeah. Uh, and so, But you got to do so smartly. How can we do things that help keep costs down? Well, building in areas where there's already infrastructure, where the the roads and infrastructure are in place, where the utilities connections are just down the street, where the police and fire departments are just down the street. So you have to, you don't have to build a new station uh, in that community. And that's yeah. going to save money, keep costs down, and help keep the construction costs down there uh, lower for the community to be able to build and for those buyers uh, to be able to afford that. Uh, you also have areas of affordable housing, low-income housing. Uh, the county and the city have uh, housing authorities. Uh, at the county level, I was a liaison for several years on our county's housing authority uh, where we utilize grants. We utilize uh, private activity bonds uh, through the county that saves uh, the uh, low-income projects uh, to the tune of hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of dollars, uh, in helping them to be able to save money in building their lower-income uh, stock of housing. And again, all taken together, it's something that allows us to uh, reduce the cost, the overall costs that go into this. Uh, and the third aspect is fighting uh, any any state rules or laws or regulations that add costs. You know, adding more regulation adds costs. Let's cut regulation. Let's cut the red tape so things can be done uh, smarter, uh, smarter uh, and more effective and efficient. Uh, so if, if, if it normally takes something a year to build, if it's something the community wants and is being approved, you know, just saving that a couple of months is going to save costs. And what we do see at the state level is we occasionally have bills that end up co- uh, raising the costs of housing. Uh, one of the yeah. things at the county level, I advocate uh, either for a bill or against a bill at the county. Uh, we have a statewide association mm-hmm. uh, and taking positions. Uh, and for, for every $1,000 increase to the cost of the house, uh, statistics show 300 to 500 people uh, are no longer to, able to, to afford that. And so a lot of times these bills will add 5000 6000 10000 And if you get two or three bills, you've just added... Yeah. tens of thousands of dollars and just kept somebody from buying, being able to purchase a house. And if that person isn't able to move out of their house, well, then that person who's maybe got a little bit lower income isn't able to move up into that house. Yeah. Uh, and so there's all these things that need to be taken into account. Uh, but I think I have the, the background with the housing, uh, housing authority and my work uh, advocating at the state level uh, to make smart choices in terms of uh, working with our community uh, to keep, help keeping those costs down and uh, making uh, housing uh, more affordable. What do you feel like are some other things that might be important in the community? Uh, well, uh, two things. So one of them is making sure that our entire community has a voice. Uh, so I think one of the things we've seen sometimes is we've seen uh, great uh, great growth and improvement in our, in our city and uh, our community. Uh, but sometimes it feels like some areas are benefiting a little bit more than others. So we've seen great growth downtown and the north. Uh, we want to take pride in our entire city. And if there's any areas in the city uh, that are lagging, we need to make sure that we're helping improve those areas so that we can take pride uh, in 
all Colorado Springs. And so I want to make sure that everybody has a voice and make sure that all our areas are getting taken care of. And so I want to make sure that's why those town halls are going to be very important so we can meet and get that feedback. Uh, are we missing something? Uh, let's make sure that we're advocating for all those residents and making sure that they're all taken care of in all parts of the six districts of the of Colorado Springs. Uh, and then the other thing is uh, I'm very proud of the work I've done uh, at the uh, working with uh, educators, teachers. You know, my background is a teacher, uh, and then veterans. Uh, the the business, the economy here locally. Uh, we want to make sure it's diverse in terms of the different aspects. You don't want anything, like I said, you have a market crash in housing. Well, that's going to affect one area. If you have something go down in, in the military, uh, you're going to have a negative effect to our, our business community and our economy. Yeah. Uh, and But we have a strong military community here. Uh, I'm an advocate for them. I'm an advocate for our seniors. I'm on a uh, senior center uh, board uh, here locally. Uh, I want to make sure that we take care of all our residents, and so I fight for them. Uh, Proud for the, our veterans. We have about 100,000 veterans here in the region uh, and making sure that they have a voice, making sure our families have a voice, making sure our teachers and our students have voices. And so I want to continue to fight for them. Uh, at the local level with the veterans, uh, one of the things I really work on, I'm on the State Board of Veteran Affairs, uh, governor appointed, only one of seven in the whole state, uh, and a proud member, a board member of uh, Mount Carmel. Uh, veteran Service Center here uh, working and advocating for our, our residents and our veterans and making sure they're taken care of. And uh, They've earned their uh, benefits and uh, want to make sure they're, take, they're taken care of. A lot of people don't, don't know what benefits they've ha they have, and I yeah. want to make sure that they understand that. Uh, and again, just working for our families, I want to be able to give back to our community, and that's why I decided to run and why I'm asking people to vote for Lojinos Gonzalez Jr. for mayor. Great. So again, part of what I'm, I'm hoping to do with this podcast is voter education. I really want more people to get to know the candidates, see who matches up with their beliefs. Anything going on with your campaign, any events coming up, anything you'd like to share with folks that, you know, they might be able to come talk to you or, or learn more about you or whatever? Sure. Well, I'm going to be having some uh, meet and greets. I'm going to have a, a couple of coffees. I'm going to have one at uh, 20, Library 21C. Uh, I'm going to have a, a, an evening event as well. Uh, people can go to gonzalesformayor.com. That's G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z for mayor.com, all spelled out gonzalesformayor.com to get more information on the locations and the times. Uh, but we'll be doing several of those here in, over the next two months uh, to get into the word out. Uh, and so I want to make sure that uh, people uh, know that we're going to be there for them uh, and that we're going to do, uh, do what we can to be a voice and advocate. And, uh, you know, one of the things I always talk about, I, I, if people, they get to know me, know two or three things about me, I, I really hope they know that I love my country, I love my God, and, and I love this community. And I just want to be an advocate and voice for them. Great. Thank you very much. Really appreciate you being here and doing this. Best of luck. I mean, good luck on the campaign. All right. Thank you and God bless. Thank you for listening to this episode of COS 23, the Mayor's Race podcast. This program is brought to you by Avant Strategies. Special thank you to producer Ted Robertson for help putting this program together. If you're interested in partnering with COS 23, the Mayor's Race podcast, you can reach out to me at kyle at avantstrategiesllc.com.